to those who um, didn't get here early. Amen. You can go ahead and be turning your Bible over to the book of Habakkuk, if you'd like. That's going to take a while to find. It's a small little book in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk. But I love the words of this song we just sang, that last, that last stanza. Mortals, join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began. You know, the idea that the morning stars, as the, as the, as the earth was being formed, joined a song. And now we can join that chorus. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. If you're a Christian, you got to sing. It's a command in the Bible. Just like uh, a lot of things that we do are, are Christians, being a part of being a Christian is singing. Singing is not a participatory sport anymore in our society. It always has been up to this point. But now people think, okay, singing is... is I mean, music is just... Things in my ears and listening. Listening can be, can be good, but at church we sing. Amen? Ever singing. March we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. God gives us victory even in the midst of the battle. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. Some translations of this song, or, or some versions, have sunward spelled S-O-N, sunward, towards Jesus as, as we're singing together. But this is a, this song, if you didn't know, is, uh, the, the music was written by Beethoven, and it was written to uh, a poem, to put a poem to music called Ode to Joy. And we're going to be talking about joy today. Joy is one of those uh, words that you see a lot this time of year. It's kind of thrown around this time of year. I was jogging this morning, and I went by a house that had a huge letter, block letters in their front yard spelling out joy. And uh, the angels that, that we sang about earlier s- s- told the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we're talking in December about joy. Uh, all year long we've been talking about transformation. And you've been, you, we've been hearing about ways that we transform. Christianity is a religion, it's a faith of transformation. We believe that God changes us. And, and as we take steps, God's Spirit works and makes us different. And as you, if you're visiting with us today, uh, the, the, the person that brought you or the people that you get to know, you might think, wow, these people are so spiritual. I don't relate to them. Well, just ask them a little bit about who they used to be. Ask them a little bit about their history and you'll find out we're all the same. But the Holy Spirit transforms us. But we're talking about joy today and how we transform, how joy can transform us. Uh, I, growing up, I was never known as a particularly joyful person. Uh, on, on Christmas, I remember uh, my sisters would open their presents, and my sisters are kind of bubbly and, and buoyant, and they would open their gift, and they would tear it open, and they'd be like, ah! You know, they'd be running around. And I would open my present, and it'd be kind of like, oh, cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, joy, I, I kind of remember feeling like it, it's, it's something that either you have or you don't have. It's kind of like a personality trait. Joy is not something I can really control. It's just, you know, kind of, either some people are joyful or some people aren't. And, and maybe you've had that, that view. I kind of thought of a joyful person kind of like this. I'm going to show you a, a, a clip here from one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies. So can you kill this light here? And so you can make sure you see this important uh, bit of media. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Uh, we can bring the lights back up. 
you know, but, but what, you, what happens when you look at the Bible, you see joy is not just a personality trait, or it's not just something that you either have or you don't have. But joy is something much deeper. It's something from inside. It's something that God can give. It's a fruit. First of all, joy is a fruit. And um, fruit is something good that is produced. Fruit is something that wasn't there before, and now it is there. There's transformation when it comes to fruit. And, and, and the Bible talks about it being a fruit that's produced by God. Look at this verse on the screen. Galatians 5, 20 through 23. This is the New Living Translation. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you need more of all that fruit? But it's something God and only God can produce. You can't do it just yourself. You can't just say... I'm going to suddenly be, have a lot of joy. I, I'm deciding to have joy. It, it has to be God that produces that within you. Jesus said, you've you got to re- stay connected in to me. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. No, fruit, no, no branch can bear fruit, what? By itself. It must remain in the vine. So it's, it's his power, it's God's power, it's Jesus. And through that connection with Jesus, that joy is produced, that this fruit of joy is produced. In fact, in that same passage in John 15, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wanted us to have full, be full of joy. And it's interesting, that is the night that he spoke this. This is the night he is going to be tortured. It's the night he's going to be betrayed and turned over to the authorities and, and tortured and, and murdered that next day. And yet he's talking about joy. Wow, joy is, is more than just uh, you know, good things happening in your life. It's more than opening a Christmas present and you're excited. Joy is something deeper, isn't it? How about you? Do you need more joy in your heart? Do you wish you were a more joyful person? Joy is also a command. So it's a fruit, but it's also a command. Philippians 4, 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. It's a command to be joyful. Now, I said a minute ago that it's not something you can do yourself. That's right. God has to produce the fruit. But there's something we got to do as well. That's the way it always works with God. You step out in a direction, you take faithful steps, and then God's Spirit comes through. And so I hope you decide today to become a more joyful person. I hope you decide right now, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to make a decision to step out on faith in this area, and then watch and see what God does to produce fruit. We're going to be looking at a story of a guy in the Old Testament who learned... To be joyful no matter what. And that's our, our title of the lesson today. Joy no matter what. Hopefully you're already in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll begin looking at this story. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus coming to this earth and showing us how to live. Thank you for even this time of year as people stop and think about just what happened there 2,000 years ago. And how God became a man and walked among us. Father, I pray that we can each be changed by looking at, at Habakkuk today. I know this isn't a part of the, uh, of the Bible that maybe some of us have ever even read before. 
And I pray your Holy Spirit would really speak to each one of us. I pray that each one of us can become a more joyful person and really learn how to have joy no matter what through looking at this study. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, you can say it either way. Habakkuk. You, you there? Raise your hand if you're there. Okay, we all found it. Amen. I want to give you a little bit of background uh, about the book. And so I'm going to throw a, a map on the screen here, if it works. There we go. Let me just get up here. And I like to use maps um, because it, it, it helps the, the stories to be, be real to me. And it helps me to understand, okay, this is stuff that really happened. So I'm going to give you a really quick overview of the history of God's people and, and what was happening at the time of Habakkuk. This is a, a map showing the Assyrian Empire. And that's because the Assyrian Empire was in control at the time of, uh, that Habakkuk was writing. And so this is going to, you're going to understand the book as we look at it a lot better. Um, the, the story of God's people, it starts right here in Ur. This is where uh, Abraham grew up. And then God called him to leave this land and go to a promised land, land he would tell him about. So Abraham was way over here and he comes all the way over here to this area. And then uh, this area here. And, and God says, this is going to be a, a land that is, your people are going to live here. They're going to become a whole nation. Even though he didn't have any kids. God says, someday you're going to become a great nation and this is going to be a land I promised them. So Abraham did have a child, uh, Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob. And then uh, if you're familiar with the story of Jacob and his son Joseph, they all end up down here in Egypt because of a famine. So they're down here. So here's the promised land. They come all the way down here to Egypt. And they're down there for about 400 years. After 400 years, uh, what God said had become true. This family, they were separated kind of from the Egyptians because they were a, a, a real different people. And so within the Egyptian culture, they become this huge nation. And they're enslaved by the Egyptians. And so God leads them out of slavery here in Egypt, back to the Promised Land after wandering the desert and all that. Then a few hundred years go by, and, and they're led by various judges, and, and it comes the time of the kings. And that, this is around 1,000 B.C. David, uh, Abraham was about 2,000 B.C. David is about 1,000 B.C. So those are easy, remember, easy to remember. You know, Abraham, 2,000. David, 1,000 B.C. So David is, is the, the great king that we've all heard about that leads God's people, and they have kind of a big, big area right there of... Of territory. After David uh, and, and Solomon, his son, the, the kingdom becomes divided. And, and you, it's divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom is this area up here, and the southern kingdom is this area down here. And, and they all, they, they, they're led by these kings that are all wicked. In the southern kingdom, some of them are good, most of them are wicked. In the northern kingdom, they're all wicked. And so God keeps sending a prophet, prophet saying, unless you repent, those things Moses promised would happen if you didn't obey me are going to come true. In other words, you're going to be overtaken. And, and, and it comes true. And so in, seven, in, in 721 B.C., this northern kingdom is swallowed up by this huge Assyrian empire. The Assyrians just wipe out the northern kingdom. So all that's left is Judah, the southern kingdom. Habakkuk, who we're reading about, is in Judah. So he's in this little bitty place down here surrounded by the Assyrian empire. Does that make sense? Does that give you some context? Is that, is that worth covering? I think, I think it helps to understand what we're going to look at. Okay, let's read here in, in Habakkuk 
chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry. But you do not come to see. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. So that justice has become perverted. I appreciate that Habakkuk is real with God here. He tells God what he's really feeling. And, you know, he's surrounded by this huge Assyrian empire that's wicked. Plus, his own people there in Judah are, are wicked. There, there's all kinds of idolatry going on. King after king is an evil king. And Habakkuk, who's seeming to be, try to be a righteous person in the midst of all kinds of worldliness and evil, says, where are you, God? How long must I call for help, but you don't listen? Habakkuk must have felt something in his relationship with God where he felt like he could be totally honest with God. And he's wrestling with God. He feels like God wasn't active. He feels like God is not at work. He feels like God doesn't see or doesn't care. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have felt like that before. There's always a temptation to feel that way. We can, be, we can become spiritually dull and we fail to see anything God is doing. And it just seems like God is inactive. God is, is absent. He's an absent father. He's not around. That's how David, I mean, that's how Habakkuk was feeling. And let's look at God's answer in verse 5. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. And then he goes on and on describing these guys. So, so it's interesting. Uh, God's answer, let me go back to this map. Um, God's answer is, see, this is Babylon here. And so this whole Assyrian empire is going to be wiped out by the Babylonians. The Babylonians kind of assume this whole territory, and they become the next great empire. So God's answer is, wait and see. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. You'd be, you're going to be amazed. You wouldn't even have believed it. This little people, the Babylonians, they're going to conquer everything. And they're these, these uh, cruel, violent, marching people that are conquering the land. It's kind of interesting. God's answer is, I rule the nations. I am at work. Be amazed. And then Habakkuk answers again in verse 12. It says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you're pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up a people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must, be we, must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who've made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartful 
heartless conquests. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. You know, Habakkuk says, these guys are even more wicked than we are. Why are you going to bless them? Why is this the plan, God? How, how, how is that any better? Okay, the Assyrians are going to be wiped out by the Babylonians. How is that any better, God? I, I, I don't like your plan. Why are you working through them? Why is this what you're doing? Let's keep reading here in verse 2 of chapter 2 and see God's answer again. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Well, interesting. God says, my timeline is, is different than yours. And he's about to explain a little more thoroughly. But he says, it might seem slow in coming. What I've promised might seem slow in coming. But, but be assured, it will happen. God's timeline is different than ours. And sometimes his promises can seem slow in coming. But that doesn't mean they're not true. It doesn't mean he's not still ruling the nations. He's not still in control. And we can understand this a little bit when it comes to our kids. You know, those of you who are parents, you ever try to, you know, answer some of their questions, but they're a little above their level? I remember my son Marshall, when he was about four years old, was trying to understand how credit cards work and how currency works. And, well, you know, if it's money, well, where is the money? Well, it's in the bank, but... So that, but it's not the actual dollars, it's kind of just a number. You know, tr- trying to explain, and, and he's, he's smart, but he's, at four he's not getting it. You know, now he, he actually kind of gets it now, he's ten now. Um, but, but you know how, how that is when you're trying to explain something to your kid and you understand, they, they just operate on a different level than you do. Or even time. I remember being ten years old, and I remember that year from ten to eleven, it seemed like a lifetime. Someday I'll be 11. And yet nowadays, I, this is, I'm turning 40 in a few months, it's like time is just flying by. It's, the years are just flying by. I can't believe another year went by. Why? Because it, time is moving the same, but it, it's different. It's relative. And God has a different timeline than we do. He has a different perspective than we do. Sometimes even the challenges of, of years ago... Think about the, the worst challenge of eighth grade, if you can. For me, it was this, this bully in, in my band class. You know, I, I was a trombone player, he was too, and he was just a bully, and he'd pick on me. You know, I don't even remember his name. I mean, I remember getting in a fight with him one time in, in band class, and my, my trombone going flying and crying. But I don't even remember his name, I don't even remember what he looks like. You, you know, and it was so significant at the time. To my survival. And yet I can't even remember it. It's just such a very dim memory. I think God has a different perspective than we do and we can trust Him. Look in verse 4. This is God talking again. God says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous. And the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, 
And like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they've gathered up many nations and swallowed many people. Boy, nothing has changed. This so describes our world today. He talks about the proud. He says they trust in themselves. Isn't that held up in our world as the way to achieve success? I believe in me. If you just believe in yourself, anything is possible. I did it my way. And yet, God contrasts that with the righteous. Is the righteous live by their faith. The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Not faith in self, but faith in God. And then he says, wealth is treacherous. You, you never have enough. You're never satisfied. He describes like your mouth opening up as big as the grave, and, 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 and yet you can't eat enough. You can't ever be satisfied. Just like the grave is never satisfied. People just keep dying. Death just keeps happening. Wealth never fills up. It's ne- people are never satisfied. What led to this enormous, unprecedented global fina- financial crisis? It was greed. Even people who have no faith in God, no religion whatsoever, they'll all tell you it was greed on every level. From the top all the way down. You know, from, from bankers, brokers, investors, lenders, borrowers, everybody wanted more. And, and the housing prices, housing prices have got to keep going up. And everybody wants, and, and, and maybe you got sucked into that. But it was a house of cards. And we're still not out of it. Aren't you glad there's something to trust in besides Money and financial success? Aren't you glad? That's what God is saying here. He's saying, yeah, the Babylonians, they look powerful, they look mighty, they look awesome, but you know what? It's not going to last. In verse 9, it says, What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? That sounds a little like our financial crisis. You believe your wealth will buy security. Putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones of the walls cry out against you. And the beams in the ceilings echo their complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of Heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ash? They all worked so hard, but in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That's all that matters, is the whole world knowing who God is. The whole world knowing our God. Anything that serves that purpose is worth it. And that's what God's looking at. What's the eternal perspective of things? What really matters, what's of eternal significance? And and finally, he kind of concludes here in verse 20. We don't have time to look through all this, but it's, it's great reading. Verse 20, he says, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. What an awesome verse. That's what Mark Shump was talking about. Let all the earth just be still, be silent before Him and His power. What does all this have to do with joy, you might ask? What does this have to do with joy? How does this tie in with Buddy the Elf? Well, think about what robs you of joy. Isn't it the stuff of here and now? Isn't it the sin of other people? Isn't it just the ups and downs of everyday life? Challenges, frustration, aches and pains. The sin of people around you. uh, People who are wicked appearing to prosper. The dominance of worldly influence. 
Maybe it's family members, maybe it's co-workers, maybe it's fellow students, maybe it's your boss, but we can all feel like Habakkuk. We can all feel like, where are you, God? And, and, and it can steal our joy. Because we, we feel like God is not here and, and I'm stuck in this situation and it's not good. What was God doing? You know, Habakkuk's complaint, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. What was God doing? I don't know all of what God was doing, but I know a few things that I'll share with you. And Babylon, if this did come true, Babylon did invade. Babylon not only overtook the Assyrian Empire, but they took, they, they took Judah. They took the southern kingdom. And so uh, uh, Habakkuk's people were carried off into captivity in Babylon. All the way over, uh, when you hear about being carried to Babylon, here's Judah. They were carried all the way over here. So this is where Daniel was. They were in Babylon. You know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all that. You know, you don't, you don't get that picture. They were carried all the way over here. They, this is the kind of the way you would travel. And so they were carried off, and the, his people were wiped out. Now they got to return. But what happened as a, as a result of this? Well, a few things. The, the temple was destroyed. But the temple being destroyed led to synagogue worship. And so, since there was no temple anymore, the Jews would come together in synagogues like this. All over the, the, the Babylonian Empire, they started to, to build up these synagogues. And the Jews were scattered all over by this, by the Assyrians and by the, by the Babylonians. They were scattered all over. It's called the Diaspora. And so there's Jewish communities all over the place, and there's synagogues all over the place. And you know what happened is that the, the Jewish people, they finally got rid of idolatry. After this, no more idolatry. In the Jew, Jewish people. I mean, it, it, you'd read through the Kings and Chronicles and it's like, idolatry, 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 idolatry. Finally, they get it. And there's no more idolatry. You think about Jesus when he came and, and spoke to the Jews. He didn't speak about worshiping idols. Because that was finally gone. They had other problems. But there was finally no more idolatry. And then that, that Babylonian king, kingdom that conquered, that paved the way for the, the, the Medo-Persian Empire that was even bigger, and then the, the Greek Empire that was even bigger, and then the Roman Empire that was even bigger, and there's never been an empire like that since. What, what did those empires do? It created a, a, a universal language in the time of the first century, where everybody spoke Greek. It created uh, uh, ease of transportation in the first century. There was roads leading everywhere that Rome built. It created a p peaceful society where you could travel all over the Roman Empire freely, whereas up to this point, you know, earlier on, there was all these warring clans. It was like trying to get around in Afghanistan today. You know, just all these little warlords and you couldn't travel freely. But under the Roman Empire, you could. So my point is, all these things led up to the perfect, perfect situation where Jesus came to earth. Where there were synagogues all over the place. There was Jews all over the place. There was ease of travel all over the place. There was one universal language all over the place, and the gospel spread like wildfire in the first century. And we're here today because of what happened in the first century. That wave of what God did. You know, that, that was God's thinking. That was God's perspective. Wait and see, I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe even if you were told. But, it, you know, Habakkuk, he was in the midst of it. And so it requires just a trust. And you know what happened? Well, well first of all, what is God doing now? That, you know, it makes me think about what is God doing now? I mean, we live in an amazing time. And these are the end times. Why can I say that? Because in the first century they said it was the end times. 
In the Bible it says that those are the last days. And, and they've continued to be the last days. Why, why is it still last days, last days, last days? Well, Peter said, uh, God, what is God doing? Why does he seem to be slow in keeping his promise? Peter said in, uh, in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient. He wants as many people as possible to come to repentance. So, so 2,000 years in God's mind is nothing if it means a lot more people saved. And think about what God's doing now with, with, with the internet, with, with computers, with globalism, with uh, even just this last financial crisis. It wasn't just America. It was the whole world because we're all so connected. And, and, and I thought computers were amazing back when I first started learning on an Apple II with 48K of RAM. And, and then it's, it's gotten more and more amazing. You know, the Macintosh came out, I remember, I was in, in school in 1984. Wow, this is incredible. And every one of you has a phone that's a thousand times more powerful than that Macintosh. Everybody has their own little computers. And, and we could put a video of today's service up right now. And any of you that, that's, you know, that pay an internet subscription, I don't, I don't do that on my phone. But any of you who do, you could watch that video today. Right now, you know, you could stream. I mean, what is God doing? This is known as the age of information. It's known as the age of individualism. Everybody's trying to brand themselves. And uh, Time Magazine, I was reading an article today, it says, this is the most immense devolution of power from institutions to individuals in all of human history. What is God doing? Just think about that. I don't know, but he's doing something. He still rules the nations today just as he ruled the nations in Habakkuk's time. There might be suffering, there might be hardships to come for us and our kids, but God is doing something. And the whole world has got to hear the gospel before Jesus returns. Habakkuk's eyes were open. We're going to look at his perspective. His whole perspective changes. He was transformed through his interaction with God. And this is a common theme throughout the Bible, where a man of God gets discouraged, and he's frustrated, and he goes to God with this complaint. And that one time with God, it turns him around. You know, you think of David, you think of Elijah, you think of Job. Psalm 73 is a great text where Asaph goes to God and he's frustrated. And he's, I, he's like, I, I, I don't understand. And then he spends time with God and then he says, oh, now I get it. His whole perspective changes and I hope you've had a prayer like that before. Look at how Habakkuk's perspective changes. Uh, Habakkuk 3 verse 2 it says, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. In your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom. The Holy One coming from, the Mount, from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens. And the earth is filled with His praise. Remember before He said, everybody is evil. Now He says, the earth is filled with God's praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Nothing has changed about the realities of the situation. But, but his whole mindset has changed. Now he sees God's moving. Now he remembers what God has done in the past. Now he's in awe of God's power and God's presence and God's plan. You know, when our faith is shaken by things we don't understand, we've got to go back to what we do understand. And go back in faith to what God has done and what God is doing. That's one reason why it's so important we share our testimony of what God has done. Because it reminds us again and again as we share with others what God's doing. It helps encourage us and it encourages others. 
And let's skip down. It's awesome. Read this on your own. You know, he goes through just how amazing God is and all that God does. Verse 16 says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. You know, this is, is scary what he's going through. He says, I trembled inside. My lips quivered. My legs gave away. It's scary what he's going through. What he's going to see happen. God's people have never been wimps. You know, we, we go through hard times. But they refine us. Paul, Peter says, those things have come to refine you. It purifies your faith. Just like gold has to be refined by fire to get all the impurities out of it. That's what hardship does to us disciples. It purifies us. It refines us so we can be pure, so we can be holy, so we can be more useful to God. Hardship can be a tool of God in His, His big pur- purpose. I don't understand all of it. I don't understand why there's pain and suffering. It's tied to free will. It's tied to these different things. It's a whole other sermon. But I know God is in control. Can we say this with Habakkuk? Can we, do we have this heart? I will rejoice no matter what. Imagine all these things he's describing. There's no sheep. There's no crops. The olive crop fails. All this stuff goes bad. Everything's going to, because he knows that's coming. He knows this army's going to invade. He knows people are going to be carried off. He knows it's going to be hard, horrible times. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Are we like that? Can we say this? Lord, my joy does not depend on things going well. You are my joy, God. You are my strength. I will rejoice in you. That's hard for me. You know, I want the fig tree to, to blossom. I want grapes on the vine. I want olive crops. I want... The cattle will be healthy. You know, I want all this stuff to be good. But what about when it's not? What do I do then? And uh, I want to show you a similar, I mentioned Psalm 73, and I encourage you to read that on your own. But at the end, the psalmist Asaph, he says, I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That's what happens when you have this connection with God. When you have that joy that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, God fills you up. God is enough. You don't have to have all the other stuff. God will bring you that joy. Nothing will bring you joy like walking with God. He fills you up. He's constantly taking you to new places. I love how he ends out by saying, The Sovereign Lord makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. That's what God does. He takes you to new places in your relationship with you. With him, He's always leading you higher. He's always lifting you up. You know, I don't know what the future will bring for our economy, for our country, for our nation, for our church, for your life. But I do know there is a God. And I do know that you can trust him. And I know you can trust his word and you can trust his promises. God rules the nations. 
God holds all time and eternity in His hand. And God knows every hair on your head. He hears your every prayer. Jesus says He knows what you need before you even ask Him for it. Why look to other things? God is your source of joy. Nehemiah said it best, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How can, how can we have this kind of joy? Just to, to, to practically close out here, we're going to look at uh, Philippians 4. Everybody knows this verse, but I want us to apply it as we think about these things. Let's really apply this. Have a Habakkuk prayer life. And it really does come down to your prayer life. And, and ask yourself, how is your walk with God? I, you know, you're, I mean, as far as a real relationship, how is it going? I'm not talking about just checking in or... But, but are you connected? Are you spending time? You've got to spend actual time. You know, we say, well, quality time. Quality time. Well, yeah, you need quality, but you need quantity too. Those of us who are parents. You know, there's no, uh, there's no substitution for just qu- quantity of time with our kids. And that's the way it is with God. You've got to spend the time with God. I, I realized in the last couple of weeks I had been having just quick, short, quiet times uh, and, and I hadn't been spending the time with God that I need to. And I made a decision. I've got to allocate an hour every day just to prayer. I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, like a, a Pharisee about it, like, oh, I'm okay because I spent, you know, I'm clocking in now. <laughs> and, okay, that was an hour. But it's just more of like building it into my schedule. I've got to spend an hour to pray with God. I need that because I recognize my joy level was not where it needed to be. Thus, my relationship with God is not where it needs to be. How is your relationship with God? If you're a guest today, if you're visiting with us, let us show you how to have a relationship with God like this. You know, pray for an hour? What? You'll be amazed how long your prayers will be. If you get some time with us, let us show you the Bible. Let us show you kind of practically how do you have a relationship with God? What does this mean? And it is sustaining and it is fulfilling. Okay, Philippians 4.4. 4, we're just going to talk about a few practical things here. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, this is the New Living Translation. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Number one, make a de- whoops. Make, number one, make a decision to be joyful. He starts out by saying, "Always be full of joy in the Lord." I say it again, rejoice. It starts with that. I've got to decide. I'm going to set my mind, set my mindset. I'm going to be joyful. That's a command right there. Always. You notice? Always. No matter what. Number two, have a second coming perspective. He says, "Remember, the Lord is coming soon." It really does put things in perspective if you, if you think about that. Think about the things you're worried about, the things you're struggling over. Does this really have significance when you consider the Lord's coming soon? How does this, you know, how does my current struggle fit in with God's perspective, God's timeline? Number three, don't worry. Instead, pray. It says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. God wants to hear our challenges. God wants to hear our struggles and our hardships. Habakkuk was really real with his emotions with God. And, and yet, I think our prayers can be shallow sometimes. Just, God, bless this, bless that, bless the other. 
You know, pray you be with this in a great way, be with that in a great way. You know, but we're not really asking for anything. We're not really, you know, calling on God. We're not putting our anxieties, our worries. Start with the things you're really worried about and pray about them. And, and, and pray till you get an answer. And that's the thing I appreciate, too, about Habakkuk. He prays till he gets an answer. Sometimes it's hard for me starting out in prayer. I don't know if this is how you are. But I'm praying and I'm trying and I'm trying to connect and I'm trying to pray. And I'm just not, you know what I'm saying? But then the, I keep praying and I keep praying and keep praying. Pretty soon then, boom, I had that Psalm 73 moment. And then my whole perspective changes. But you've got to pray through to that point. You've got to keep going. Uh, number four, tell God what you need. Kind of talked about that, but tell God, be, be real, be specific. God, here's what I need. And thank Him for all He has done, number five. Give thanks for all He has done. we got to remember that thankful perspective. A lot of times that changes the way you view your current situation. We just look at all He has done and you take time to thank Him for all He has done. Uh, we're going to close by singing a song together. And uh, this is just to get this verse on your mind. It's a, it's a, it's a repetitive, uh, thing. How many of you guys know this? Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, a few guys. So we're gonna split the room in half. I'm gonna get Marty to help me out. Marty, you can use that mic. I'll, I'll lead this half of the room, and we'll end with this. You can use that mic. So from this, from here over, you're gonna sing with me. Okay, Sujimoto? You can pick, you can pick. You be with me. Okay, Mark, raise your hand. So from Mark over, you're singing with me. And then that half of the room, you'll sing with Marty. So I'm going to start it.